everyone. Today, our special guest is the incredible Adrian Paul, um, who you should recognize from the legendary Highlander television series, uh, playing Duncan McLeod. But he's also much more than that. He um, is part of this incredible charity organization called the Peace Fund. And he does this incredible training called the Sword Experience, which I'm looking forward to talk about with you today. So welcome to the show, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you very much. So like everyone else, COVID kind of put a damper on what people were going to do in 2020. And uh, so one of the things that kind of I'm interested about is how the pandemic affected your sword experience and what you do with that. Well, I mean, we, uh, you know, last year we, the year before we had about 27 events. Uh, then this year we've had, I think, about eight. <laughs> and like three or four of them were actually at the beginning of the year. And then we were able to sort of get uh, four from August to um, uh, when was it? October. We did three in October. But, you know, we really had a, a whole, um, uh, what should we call it, uh, precautions put in place. There were masks, right. social distancing. Uh, you know, there was all the protocols we had were really, you know, uh, set in, in uh, county guidelines because that's the only way we really could go forward, you know. Uh, and we, we did pretty successful. You can actually see it on our site. There's everybody in their masks, etc. Right. And so is that something you start after you kind of realize that there are people interested in sword, learning about the sword because of your role in Highlander? Or is this something you've always had an interest in doing um, with uh, kind of the sword, the sword practicing? No, actually, I mean, it was really, it was really Highlander that did it, um, to be totally honest, because... Um, you know, my sword training prior to that was small. It wasn't as, you know, I mean, I'd only done a year of some sword before I did Highlander. So, you know, that was uh, really the catalyst of what set me up to do sword work. And, um, you know, we, uh, we started this in 2016 because it wasn't just about sword because, you know, there's so many teachers out there, so many good, good teachers out there in one style or another, whether it's broadsword, katana, uh epe doesn't really matter which uh but what they weren't really teaching i don't think is film and angulations so the whole thing was started off to show people to get people interested in the sword and they would bring instructors from different areas whatever area we would go to and say listen i had my experience in the film industry i've done 30 years of martial arts as well i've done uh 25 years or 30 years of sword but these guys actually have specific styles so if you're interested after this if this kind of rocks your boat then you can go over there and and, and study with them um and then that kind of led to once that started going because we took people to different places like like where i am now like a beautiful ski mountain or a or a vineyard or a castle or some great location to put that experience here because it's that's why i called it the sword experience not sword training per se at the time and then you know three four years on i really noticed the difference i mean i had a lot of martial artists come in i had uh, regular fans come in i had uh, stage combat instructors i had all these different people coming in and what i noticed was across the board the, the whole thing was whether you're actually a martial artist or whether you're a a sword practitioner you need to know your angulations you need to know what your target is about and so in conjunction with Mark Makeda, who does Phytology, um, he has his company, he does Filipino martial arts, a very, very, he's a grandmaster in Filipino martial arts. Uh, he, he said to me, why don't you, you know, create your own 
um, numbering system because that will be easier for people to follow. So uh, I, from all the stuff I'd done, I started creating the numbering system and then, you know, uh, uh, adjusted it over the next six months to a year to sort of work in the footwork and the angulations. And now it's really about your targets, your angulations. So whether you're a martial artist or whether you're doing it for choreography on film, you need to know what your target is because if you're missing your target, first of all, you're not going to get the points as a martial artist or two, you're going to injure your opponent if you're not hit, hitting the right target. So that's really what our numbering system now is the sort of experience numbering system has been uh, created from and, and we've been using it now for about a year and a half. And uh, it's, it's proved very, very useful because I can tell somebody, okay, here's the number one attack and here's the number one defense. They all learn it. And I say to two people, okay, you do the number one attack, you do the number one offense. And immediately they know what, what I'm talking about. Right. So I can put a choreography together very, very quickly. Uh, and uh, that then sort of made me concentrate a little bit more on the filming side of it. So we created little stories. So now not only do you go to a sword experience to visit the castles, learn a little bit about sword work, visit old friends or whatever, you now get to kind of be an actor in a, in a film uh, a little mini movie of your own where we create the, the story behind the sword work that we're actually doing. Because we usually pick sword work from, uh, you know, a, a favorite movie or, or TV series that you might have been interested in. It's There's something about the sword, though, whether it's like Star Wars, lightsabers, or Lord of the Rings. There's something very, like, very elegant about it, but brutal. And it's, it is kind of cool how... We, like growing up, my friends and I would be like, this movie could have used a, a sword fight. And it, it's kind of a joke, but there is something really cool about it, how it is filled with movies. Well, you know, the funny, if you look at even today, I mean, when you're doing the uh, movies have changed in the past 20 years, they've gone through a whole different uh, uh, genre because of the streaming platforms, the visual effects that have come out. And now you have much more fantasy oriented type of movies. Yet you still have, even though they've got superpowers, there's still a guy with a sword. Still, I mean, you take the Avengers, you take, it doesn't matter. They've still got a sword at some point because they're like, well, that's a good weapon to use. So I, I think it does have a, 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 it's part of our DNA for thousands of years. Yeah, well, it goes back to like the King Arthur, the sword, the stone and all that. So when you take your class, do you actually get a kind of a history lesson on the sword as well? No, we usually, we, we save that for the offline because okay. we now have our, we now have our Patreon sites, which is where people can actually come and, uh, depending on what level they're at, it's like a community we've created where uh, I will, I've done now about nearly 46 videos uh, of training uh, based on the sword experience numbering system to really teach people the basics and what the numbering system is about and then put again carters together to get them to work on it, to work on the, on the uh, uh, cardiovascular nature of what sword work does. And... Um, that platform really now talks about, okay, this sword came from here. Here's what it does. If I did that on every single sword, we, we, it would take too long to explain at the sword experience itself because I've only got a certain number of time. These, these experiences last between five to six hours. Um, we've also got our, our academy events now where we split those up, where I have one hour of just tra um, uh, physical fitness. So there's a whole bunch of physical fitness things that are done with the sword. And then the next hour and a half or two hours is just targeting and, um, you know, a, a technique. So we work on the system. We work on targeting uh, drills. We talk and all that. Then we, the third session is just choreography. You put the choreography together, what you've learned in the day. So it's really kind of, we're trying to expand on all the knowledge that we're giving to people in various areas. With your background in dancing, 
I assume that has a lot of help when it comes to the movement of the sword play, correct? In martial yeah, arts in general? tremendous. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like um, learning lines. You kind of learn a sequence. And so if you're used to learning sequences, it's easier to put those together. I, uh, I'm always kind of blown away when you see these offensive linemen in the American football leagues, and they're like, well, we take ballet or we do this, this dancing for our footwork. And it's, it's kind of, for me growing up, I'm like, I'm never going to stretch. I'm never going to do yoga. I'm not going to do any of this stuff. But when you look at, the, at it, it's amazing how much it actually helps these athletes. Yeah, it does. I mean, the, I mean, I was talking to some friends of mine, and I said, if you look at football players and basketball players, hockey players, soccer players, the level of talent now has it increased exponentially, not because we're better. It's just because the level of training has gone up. The footwork drills that they put, you go, okay, you've got ballet in soccer or football. I mean, where would you think? But it does help because it helps with your balance, your coordination, uh, your movement, your, your targeting, because I talk about footwork all the time. Now, one of the interesting things about you I want to ask you is that you were actually in the music video for Duran Duran. <laughs> and how did that kind of come about? Because that seems like one of those... For me, that'd be like a cool bucket list thing to say, but is, was that kind of like a launch to your career? No, no. I was I was a model back then, and a, uh, I, I was also doing choreography and dance at the, at the point. At that point, I was just starting that portion of my career. Um, it was just a casting. It was a regular casting. You know, they were looking for a guy that could do this, and I went in on the casting, and I just got the job. I mean, it's funny because my co-host on uh, uh, Peace Fun Radio always talks about that. Oh, here comes the Matador from Durant. Durant. Like, Would you cut it already? Like, you know? <laughs> he said, no, but it's a good credit to have. <laughs> we just joke about it a lot. No, I love that. And so as you're growing up, are you, how did you choose the martial art you did, which is the Shalowin monk, kind of like that background? Like how, that's not a common martial art that people kind of gravitate to. Was there a catalyst for that? Well, I did uh, the, People ask me now, what martial arts should I take? I'm going to go backwards on this. People ask me now, what martial arts I can take, uh, you should take? And I say to them, go and look at different teachers and see what's, what you feel, you can, what you understand the best. It could be karate, it could be kung fu, it could be Shotokan, it could be anything, it doesn't matter. And just because it's also the movement and who is teaching you. And I found a teacher uh, when I was looking, I, was, I can't even remember who, oh no, because I went to two or three different places. And I saw uh, Hungar Kung Fu being taught by this uh, small, uh, um, he's Chinese Hawaiian uh, guy who's uh, named uh, Vernon Rieda, who came from Hawaii. And I, I liked the movement. I understood the movement of what he was doing, like the, the footwork, the changing. And I thought, okay, let me try this. And as I got into it, I realized it was very uh, similar to the movements I'd had in dance or anything else that, that would allow me to do that footwork. And, you know, obviously, you know, this was after the first year of Highland. I really started getting into that, and I trained a lot once because once I do something, I I, I put 150% into it. So um, that's really how I chose it. And you know, from there, you know, just kind of the amount of people I got in touch with was 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 great through Highland mainly. Now, did you actually have the sword experience as an addition to Highlander, like leading up to it? Because you beat out Gary Daniels, Mark Singer, all these other people. <laughs> People that I'm kind of like, I don't never recognize, remember them having sword experience. So is that something you brought to the table that was like... No, no. The funny thing, I'd done it a year before. I'd, I'd studied it about a year before. And um, I found it very easy. I, I, not easy, but I felt I understood kind of what the flow of that thing was supposed to do. You know, what the... and um, But it was really very basic. 
my really initial um uh what's the word uh, introduction to it was through bob anderson who taught me really the european style of fencing and uh, saber uh, uh, dueling because that if you look at the style in the first year of highlander it was very much one-handed and and my hand positions for a katana was not really correct because you know he i was usually utilizing for the european style and all the european positioning after that i learned a little bit of the chinese style the korean style the japanese style you know i was picking up all those pieces which i thought was very useful for the type of character i had who'd lived so many years and would have to fight different people and adapt to each of the fighters that he was facing is that kind of what drew you into the character itself to even audition about that i mean it's you got the romance you got the action but this that story that's very unique and it's kind of cool you touched upon the fact that here's a guy yes he's not real but he's going through these experiences where he has to carry stuff he's learned over from one year to the next to a next generation there's got to be something fun to that well I loved the first movie, so I, you know, yes. I was, I was, I was like, I, I got it because I like history. I was a history buff when I was younger, so the idea of seeing all this historical stuff as well as doing action and just the whole concept of it was really fascinating to me. And uh, about, I think about two or three months prior to actually going for the first, very first casting for Highlander, I was sitting in another casting office and Highlander Two poster was up on the wall, and I looked at it. And I went, I'm going to do something with that. I know, I really think I'm going to be part of something on that. I swear to God, and that was, and then three months later, I get this audition, which then went on for another three or four months, which of, of the process. So, um, yeah, it was it was something I kind of had already kind of got my heart into in this in a sense. Yeah, it's. Uh, was there any type of? Is it weird to now Christopher Lambert has this iconic first movie, and then say what you want about the other movies, they're still great movies. For what they are, is it weird to kind of take over a series? <laughs> as, a, as, as an offshoot, obviously, of the, the Duncan and Connor Cloud, but is it weird to have kind of the fan base kind of like, this is weird? Like, how do you, how did you deal with that the first season? The, the hardest thing to do whenever you take over, because I'd already done two series prior to this. Right. And the hardest thing was to take over the role of somebody else. Because I took over the, when I did War of the Worlds, I took over the, the, the Kincaid, who took, was supposed to take over the role of somebody else. And all the fans had already gotten their, they've already got their mind in who this character is supposed to be. It wasn't exactly the same character, but it was the same representative type in that, in the, uh, in the genre or in that particular um, series. So taking over Highlander, at first, I was supposed to be uh, Connor McLeod. And I was really, it was, I was like, oh, I hope this doesn't happen. No, please. You know, I don't know how. Because, you know, it's really hard. It's such an iconic character at the time, still is, um, that, uh, you know, it, and luckily, Christophe Lambert, uh, they found him, um, you know, literally the, the last week of um, before I was at, I, I went up, I got the role on a Thursday, I think it was, and I was up in Vancouver by the Sunday, and I was supposed to start shooting the following week. And, uh, uh, and literally when I got up there, they said, well, actually, we've got Christopher Lambert, so now we're going to have to change your name. So let's come up with some names. And obviously I became Duncan, which was great because I could now create a slight offshoot of what the Highlander role was, but it's a really uh, unique, identifiable character. When you were filming those first se the, the seasons of that show, would you guys film straight through, whether it's one set period piece or would each episode be kind of filmed based on different costume changes and stuff like that? No, I mean, each... Um, 
you know, we would have usually in the first season, I, I can't remember the first season, we would have maybe one or two flashback sequences. And usually the flashback sequences cost more money. So they're a little bit more reticent to have too much of that in there because there's more props, there's more extras, there's more costumes, etc. Um, so they would be all kind of shot for that particular episode in one block. As we went further along, we would have two or three different sequences. Sometimes we would do two of the flashbacks over two different days. But in reality, they try and keep them together just basically to try and keep the cost down. What I loved about that show is that, yes, each season had this, kind of this overarching kind of theme or main bad guy, but each episode felt like its own little thing. And it was cool to see these different fights, these different villains. Is there a specific fight or fights that you always kind of, if a fan asks you to, hey, check out these three episodes, what three episodes are you telling a fan to go check out? Um, I think the episode of Duende was a, a very, uh, uh, it was pivotal in a sense because we had Anthony DeLongas, who was, was a very good awesome. martial, you know, uh, martial artist uh, or, or sword uh, practitioner. He taught uh, Michelle Pfeiffer the uh, whip uh, for Catwoman. I mean, he done so much sword. He still does, and I'm still in contact with him. Um, and so we had him and F. Brown McCash, and they put together this fight. He came, he'd, already, he'd already come in in, in uh, an episode prior and then pitched the writers and said, how about this idea? And I said, oh, that's actually kind of cool. So he came in as another character to play this, this other role. And in doing so, brought this style, this um, Spanish Espada Daga, uh, the circle of life uh, to, the, to the stage, which is much harder to do, especially, I was actually, actually on my podcast, I actually had <laughs> Brom McCash this week and he said, I don't know how you were doing it because I was literally filming the previous uh, episode I was filming a scene and there'd be Anthony and, and Braun off camera and I would run off, do a couple of moves and then go back and, and, and uh, shoot the scene. And that's the only rehearsal time I would get. Um, he said, I actually remember one time we actually went on and the only rehearsal you had was that morning when we were just before we were going to do the fight. So <laughs> there was no time. But that really, to me, was something because I think it was stylish. I think it was very precise in, in the manner that it was shot. Um, so I actually kind of liked that particular fight. Um, there were so many others I did. I mean, I did one in, um, oh gosh, I can't remember. I've done, I've literally, I've done hundreds of fights in, in the episode because I'd be doing, sometimes I'd be doing like three or four uh, uh, sword fights or six or seven action sequences in one particular episode. Um, what was another another one I, I would do? Well, you know, the, the one I actually kind of always liked a, a lot was uh, when we did the two-part episode in... in um, because I actually directed it as well, but I actually also liked the the way the sword fight moved from one place to another. We had like three or four different people fighting, and that was um, uh, comes a horseman, uh, which was uh, the hundredth episode, and we had it in a in a we had Peter Wingfield, we had Cronus, uh, we had all these different people fighting in different areas, and so to go from one to the next was uh, kind of exciting for us because we had it on an we were actually shooting it on a disused submarine uh, base so it was it was kind of fun to do so that was another one i think was uh, was fun um i don't know how, how cool was it in that game to actually do a movie with lambert where it's kind of like here's your the, you love the first movie and we all do it for you to actually kind of the proper passing of the torch or the sword or the head or whatever yeah. <laughs> I, that movie's just a great guilty pleasure. There's so many cool things in that movie. Yeah, I mean, that, it was always fun. I mean, because Christoph and I got on very well in the, after the first episode. I mean, it's literally, I mean, Bob Anderson said, you guys are like brothers. You just kind of like 
picked it up and just started working. And I think you see that in the first episode. So to see him when we worked together in Endgame again, I'd gone much further in my sword work than he had. I mean, his, he came in, did one thing, and then left and did other stuff. I was constantly doing sword work for the next five years, six years, So uh, and martial arts. So, I mean, I now had gotten to a level where I was actually getting to be relatively proficient with uh, a lot of the moves. And when we did Endgame, the weird thing was, yes, it was now going to be passed on to me, but the weird thing was me actually going, teaching Christopher the correct positions of what's, I'm like, wait a minute, this is really weird. I'm sitting like, this is like eight years ago. I was watching you on the movies doing this stuff. I'm going, that's really cool. Now I'm kind of teaching you the positions. It was, it was, but, and he would come to me saying, because we wanted to create two different styles. Mine was more of a flowy kind of, it had a mixture of um, Japanese, Chinese style, and his was much more rigid and Chinese style. So we wanted to, to sort of uh, delineate those styles uh, pretty well. So it was, and so it was great. We had, we had a fabulous time doing it, although we shot, we shot in actually Romania, London, and Luxembourg because uh, the lead uh, actor, Bruce Payne, got uh, sick. After we choreographed the entire final fight in Romania, we then had to then go to London and, f and, and film the fight again three months later. So you can imagine <laughs> we had to re-choreograph the whole thing for another uh, rooftop sequence. And then we didn't finish that. We had to go to Luxembourg, and I had to go and do the Carter sequence in Luxembourg another month and a half later. So... It's. It was. Um, people say that movies are easy. They're not. <laughs> no, it's, it's tiring just watching it. Um, how many heads have you actually chopped off? Oh God, I don't know. I mean, I mean, somebody will know the answer. I guarantee you, somebody <laughs> out there will know exactly how many I've had. You know, a couple of hundred. I think it was a hundred. I think in Endgame it said something like 165 or some other number. Whatever. I don't know. Now you've also recently got to jump on the show Arrow, and so. How cool is it to kind of jump in a different kind of fan base where they're very loyal to their product? It's kind of it's kind of cool, right, for you to kind of jump into a pop culture superhero type thing. Yeah, no, I mean, Arrow was a good. I mean, I knew a few people that were on it. You know, Kelly Who was a good friend of mine who had been on it, uh, and uh, they actually shot. The, the, the weird thing for me was um, I was now coming on to a show that was pre-established. You know, um, the the lead knew what he was doing. Everybody knew what they were doing, etc. And so that was great to see, but the very, I think it was the second day or the third day, I can't remember, that I shot, we sh they shoot in Vancouver. And where they shot was the same lot where we had the Highlander offices, which had now been knocked down. So I was literally looking out the window where the Highlander offices used to be. So that was kind of like bizarre, but um, it, was, it was really interesting to watch the, the, the way that it's now a very well-oiled machine from all the way from the, the grips to the, to the filming, to the the stunts, etc. They know what they're doing. They go out there, they get it done because they they got they do a lot. Yes. Have you ever had a strange encounter with a fan or a fan that recognizes you and wants you to say movie lines and stuff like that? All the time. <laughs> so is now I get that's probably not no pun intended, but a double-edged sword where you're grateful for the fans, but you ever just kind of like, okay, guys, I'm not going to say it. But thank you for your support. Like when you do those conventions, you must deal with crazy people. You know, you know the thing is, uh, 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 conventions are an inter interesting thing because um, years ago, you know, the fan conventions were all, everybody would call them geeks. People are all geeks doing it. But now, you know, all of a sudden, back in the early 2000s, 
that all the major studios, etc., are now doing. Now nobody's a geek anymore. Somebody's just a fan. And then other people say, well, you know, all these people dress up in all these funny costumes. Yeah, well, what do you do when you do football? People paint their faces. They dress in biking yep. hats and all this stuff. So it's exactly the same thing. So to me, I, 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 I thank people for the interest. Depending on what they want me to say and depending on what the situation is, <laughs> you know, I will either decline gracefully or say it, you know, just because it's part of what, you know, I, I've been known for and, and what I'm there to do. I love it. Yeah, I've always kind of, uh, yeah, it's just funny because every time you say that line, it can only be one. It's like, I always wonder, like, people that have those lines, how often they have to be in a grocery store and just be like, hey, say that line, Adrian, or hey, say that line, Christoph. It's, it's just, it's funny. Well, the one, the one thing I always used to get, because uh, I got, you know, now not as much, um, you know, I go to places, I go through airport security scanners and the, and the thing i would all get well, where's your sword where are you hiding it you know like I'd buy, well and I'd, I'd say to them well it's the same thing jim burns told me He's, he basically said if anybody ever asks you what where, where you keep your sword you can tell them it comes from the same place the music does <laughs> post-production love that and so is your story or if you had the opportunity to go in there and finish the duncan mcleod story is that something that you would be able to do? Or is, is there a part of it you still want to tell about his life? You know, the, the thing, uh, the, the interesting thing I think you could actually do with, with Immortals Today, and Elizabeth Grayson and I actually wrote a, a, a stage play on it. Um, and it oh, was wow. based on what the Immortals' lives would be in today's uh, type of uh, environment. Because today, you're dealing with internet, you know, security issues, all this stuff. You wouldn't be able to get away with half the stuff you, would have able, you were able to get away with back in the, the early 90s because everybody's so controlled in a sense now. So how would you deal with that? How do, you know, what does society give you? Where do you go? You know, so, you know, we kind of create, that would be kind of a fun thing that to do. Be. You know, it's a, it's a different idea, but. Yeah, it's like you can't be on social media taking someone's head off because someone's videotaping it. <laughs> Exactly, because somebody's going to videotape it. You better make sure you're in a really dark place. Now, one of the really awesome things you do is your charity work. So kind of tell me why you started the Peace Fund and how people could get involved with that. Well, the Peace Fund actually started back in 1997. Um, and I always had this feeling I wanted to sort of, and I, this is cliche in a sense, give back. Uh, because I thought to myself, well, if I've been given the opportunity to do something, I'd want other people to have the same opportunity. And I didn't want to necessarily link myself just to a charity and be a figurehead that way. I wanted it to sort of mean something to me. And and uh, peace, the name peace uh, came very simply, which meant protect, educate, aid children every day. And back then we started with a program called School Makes a Difference because I, I, you know, I thought that, you know, really learning is where kids uh, develop all their skills for the rest of their life. And so a school makes a difference really had things such as peer pressure, interactive storytelling for reading. It had uh, social studies. It had um, uh, martial arts. It had all these different things that would they would be able to apply to their everyday lives. And, you know, we did it in schools in Los Angeles, Denver, New York, um, different places like that. And then eventually um, it got rather large. We didn't, I didn't have time to sort of do it myself. And I, we, we did it all for, totally volunteer. Uh, which we've been a volunteer organization for 20 something years so uh we then after the tsunami started raising money for the kids in the orphanages in in thailand uh since that point you know we've been doing things in uh, we've done things in uh, 
Cambodia, in, Tha in Thailand, in Hungary, Romania, United States, uh, uh, South America, um, or is it? Um, go with one. I can't remember. But we've done different places in various areas, uh, and we were then dealing with different things. We would build homes. We would build dental. Uh, clinics we would build we would uh, uh, bring celebrities in to give uh, reading lessons and, and kind of what we found was we really wanted to go towards the reading aspect of it because when i started peace fund radio which was an offshoot of peace which really highlighted all the different charities all the different celebrities that were involved in charities we've now done over 600 hours of, of radio awesome. and uh you know it really sort of highlighted all this stuff and so i kind of realized that it really stemmed from the learning and um, we really wanted to sort of increase our, our learning so we, we had a program called kids read to lead which we developed and we were going to take it into different places and since then the pandemic kind of hit us and right. so we kind of slowed it down because you can't do it in person now we're looking at doing it online because we've got a, a platform we might be able to do that in awesome. so uh you know the the way to do that's really where we're at so we're now trying to formulate that program and create it online to actually go to different schools but Hopefully schools will be back in in, uh, in classrooms uh, pretty soon, although it's going to be a different world. No, it, it totally is. And if I want to get involved in the Peace Fund, how would, do I go to the website? Do I kind of, how do I? Yeah, there's, the website is uh, thepeacefund.org. And uh, there's there's information on there, how you get, how you get involved. Uh, you know, the other thing is, you know, obviously a, a podcast, uh, we run that weekly and it's a free podcast. But sharing it to people is a very useful thing where you don't have to do anything except help us spread the message of what we're trying to give, which is tell everybody about what people are doing. No, I love that. And obviously you're skiing today with your kids. Do your kids have an interest in uh, the martial arts or the movies or sword play or any of that? Well, my daughter really, she she's, takes acting lessons now. Uh, she takes dance lessons. Obviously they're doing skiing lessons today. Um, and my son is—he's uh, done sword before. He's actually pretty good. He's—he's—but um, his interest is fleeting. Is because he does soccer, baseball, basketball. I mean, he does all these different things. All of a sudden, it's skate, skating. It's this, and so his attention span keeps moving because he's only eight. So um, eventually, if he really wants to do it, and he kind of does, but you know, uh, he has the—he has the the athletic ability to do those types of things. He's an athletic kid. Once he figures out, because the idea for me is when you have a child, you really want to give them all the information and let them choose because if they really want to do it, they'll continue doing it and they'll be good at it. But if you force it on them, they'll never do it. So I don't want to force them on anything. I'm trying to picture your kid talking back to you and challenging you to a duel. That's all the time. All challenging the time. you to you a do duel where if you, whoever wins the sword fight either has to do the dishes or... <laughs> no, 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 no. I get talked back to all the time by my kids. You know, <laughs> all the time. I've got a third one that's a baby now who's who I think is going to be talkative as well, but we'll see. That's, all, that's awesome. That's great. You guys can have these uh, spirits with each other. So the sore experience is on social media. I know it's on Instagram and Twitter. If people want to follow that, they should. And if they want yep. to follow you specifically, are you on any social media or is that? Yeah, I'm on Adrian Paul. I'm on Twitter as Adrian Paul official. I'm on Facebook, Adrian Paul official. Um, the other thing I want to mention, we just launched and we're, we just launched our beta test on it, is the first online convention. 
for we we had it just recently where we had uh, vendors and uh, martial artists and, and instructors oh, wow. teaching you different things online, uh, as well as autographs from celebrities. So we've created this platform where we can do that. Now we're working all the the, the kinks that we found in the first one, and then we'll launch a much wider one probably in mid March to uh, to really sort of now bring people because the conventions are going to stop they're not going to be a, I, I don't think you're going to have many conventions for the next year or two so it'll be a place that people now can congregate the same as they did live and possibly be a little easier because they'll be up and, up and personal with watching an instructor show you something or a comic book artist or a celebrity it doesn't matter we, we've kind of created this platform where we can um, launch this so it's called um, SXP virtual and um, you know and you'll find that on our site as well no, that's awesome. Well, I want to uh, thank you for this, Adrian. It's uh, it's good to see you and talk to you, and uh, wish you all the success. And um, be safe out there at the ski slopes today. Thank you. I will. I'm going to go see my kids now. Thank you, John. Awesome. Take care. Thank you, Adrian. Be God safe. Bless you. I'll take talk care, soon. Man. Bye now.